Hi, everyone, and welcome to On Trial, the podcast where we explore how to build your practice, trial tactics, and what can make or break your case. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Heimlich. And I'm John Resvold. And today we're going to be talking about mediations, because as we all know, with no trials going on, mediations is one of the most common and honestly, one of the best ways to get cases resolved. John, I know you've been having a a number of them recently. Um, Why don't you kind of give us a rundown of you know, what mediation is and what you do to kind of sell that concept to your client. Sure. So, yeah, I've been in mediation a lot over the last year, so much so that some of these judges know my kids by name because my kids love to run in when there's a Zoom call going on and try to see themselves on the camera. Um, so mediation is a great, you know, tool uh, to have in your tool toolbox if you have a client and a case that is set up the right way. So mediation is an opportunity to bring both sides together with a judge or a neutral party to try to see if you can hammer out, you know, your differences, see if you can work past some of the warts in your case and get it settled. Um, Oftentimes it's just an easier way to get cases settled because there's less contention. You don't have to sit across the table from defense counsel or an adjuster. And if you're me you've probably pissed off an adjuster by that point and they don't want to be there and they don't want to give you money. So uh, it's always helpful to have a judge sort of nudge them in the right direction. No, I couldn't agree more. I think the value in mediation is having that judge, having a third party with that experience, you know, who's done this, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of times before, you know, go up to you, especially on our side, you know, with clients who are, who are amateurs, who have usually never been through any process, anything like this before. And tell them, listen, you know, I, I really think you should consider, you know, taking this deal, you know, and here's why, you know, and, and, you know, obviously your job as their attorney is to advocate for them. You know, there's some news that that comes better when it's being delivered by the judge, but then by you and, and they can be, you know, kind of um, honest and a little bit more harsh with your clients in a way, in a way that's both, you know, good for you good for your case and good for, you know, getting a resolution on, you know, sometimes, you know, these cases can have difficult questions that are hard to get past and it's good to have a mediator weigh in on them. Yeah. The clients sometimes don't understand the intricacies of why their case is not perfect and why it's not going to be on the nightly news and why they're not going to be handed a hundred million dollar check. Sometimes it's nice to have a judge also bring out hey, here's what this jurisdiction does. And here are some verdicts that I've seen, or here are some other comparable cases. I always tell people, I had a pretrial with a judge in DuPage County, uh, Collar County, Chicago, who used to be the chief judge. Um, He's one of my favorite judges around, but I won't name names. Um, And he would always bring out a verdict form that was a verdict form for the plaintiff on liability in a rear end car crash case, $0 damages. And he said, you never know what a jury can actually do. A jury could say, yeah, you're right. You know, the defendant's at fault, but we don't want to give you any money. And so mediation is an opportunity to do, you know, not just to bring people together, but it's also an opportunity to guarantee your client a result that, you know, sometimes you uh, feel really good about your case at trial and you know that maybe it's a slam dunk, but even then the clients want the guarantee. They want to know what they're getting, at least most clients that I've ever you know, dealt with. They want the guarantee. They'd prefer to settle versus going to trial. And this is a good opportunity to make them also feel like they sort of had their day in court. Absolutely. Being heard is such a big thing. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, you know, especially on our end. Again, the clients, they feel like, 
you know, they have this story, they had this experience, or they went through this experience and saw or saw a loved one go through it. And they need to express that. And without that, especially, you know, in that circumstance, you're probably pretty early on in the case, if they haven't given a deposition, you know, that's, you know, that's something that can be really important and really beneficial uh, to getting them in the right headspace to to move past all that and think about, you know, what can actually be achieved through this lawsuit. And, and that's a very important thing. Uh, speaking of timing of mediations, is there a particular time in within a case that you feel like mediations can be, you know, better, can be uh, more beneficial, less beneficial? What are your thoughts on that? When defense counsel proposes it. Because that's usually when they've had an adjuster tell them, hey, you should probably look at mediation on this case. That's a good opportunity for you to actually come to the table in a meaningful way. I think that if you as a plaintiff's lawyer are proposing mediation or proposing some sort of settlement conference of some sort, you look weak. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. There may be opportunities to broach the subject casually, but if you come right out and say, hey, we should probably just mediate this one it means you either have a really, really difficult case that you don't think you can win and probably isn't winnable, or you need to turn it quickly, which is, you know, bad for the client and bad for business. So, you know, my sort of policy is I prepare every case as if it were going to be tried and I prepare every case for trial. I know you do the same and preparing cases like that and getting them ready for trial, the mediation opportunities present themselves. They just pop up. And sometimes you know, if you're in court, there's opportunities for settlement conferences, which are similar to mediation that are just judge led, um, as opposed to maybe a neutral or a retired judge. And sometimes the judge will push for it. And if a judge is nudging you in that direction, it's always a good idea to sort of take that opportunity, not just because you think your case can settle, but also because it may give you a strategic advantage. It may give you an insight into what the defenses of the case are that you may not be aware of or how the defense views the case. And then you can always walk away, go take a few more depositions and work around whatever the defense was and come back stronger. No, I agree with everything you just said, but I will add um, one of the times I like to mediate cases um, is before suit gets filed, you know, because you can approach that with the, the defense counsel, especially if you know the insurance company, you know, the defense attorneys, you know, you give them all the information, you make the claim. And you suggest that in your claim letter, you know, our, my client has authorized us to engage in mediation uh, if you're willing to before we have to file suit. And, and I found I've had a couple of successes there where we've been able to, you know, get the case resolved uh, pre-suit without having to go through all the, the time, expense, delay that litigation inevitably imposes on people. So the, in addition to agreeing with everything you just said, I think pre-suit's another great way um, to at least broach the subject. And again, either they agree to it or, or they don't. And then you, you file your suit and prepare your case for trial. So I think win-win either yeah. way. I think you're absolutely right. Pre-suit is a time where you're not just investigating, but you're also trying to get it resolved. You know, I don't want to, you know, file suit on every single case I have because it's not in the best interest of the client. Some of these cases should absolutely settle without lawsuits. And if the only way to do it is to get a neutral party involved, then yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great opportunity. So let, let's say you and the other side agree to mediate. You know, what are you doing to prepare yourself for the mediation? What, what are you reviewing? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? It's all very case dependent, but I want to sort of build my case for the judge in the same way I would present it to a jury. So 
I want to highlight three or four ways that I think I can win on liability. And then I want to spend really the lion's share of my time on presenting the damages. You know, I think that if we're going to mediation, there's probably not much of a dispute on liability. Nevertheless, I like to highlight to the judge, here are the three or four ways I think we'll win at trial. Here are the three or four things I think we'll be able to prove. And, uh, you know, get through that quickly. It doesn't have to be, you know, you're not writing a thesis here. Uh, and then be able to highlight your damages and really prove them up. I think that's the most important part of mediation. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, usually liability is not assumed, but if you're engaging in a mediation, there's kind of an acknowledgement that they're more likely than not, you're probably going to win on that. So it becomes a matter of proximate cause and damages. And yeah, you're right. That's really where you got to focus your time. You got to really hone your arguments and convince the judge. So they in turn can convince uh, the other side's insurance company to, you know, take the full value of your client's damages seriously and, and truly evaluate the full full value of the case. Um, and then for me, one of the most interesting parts of mediation is always getting the client's head in the right space uh, to engage in the process because usually it's completely foreign to them. You know, something uh, practitioners like you and I do regularly on the defense side, their insurance people, you know, they're you know, usually seasoned and have gone through dozens, hundreds of these before. What do you do to get your clients in the right frame of mind for mediation? Well, it starts, I think, well before we've actually set the date for the mediation or before we're walking in the door. I just talked to them about the process. Look, this is an actual opportunity to settle your case. And we're not going to get everything that we want. Uh, I wish we were but that's just not the way that these compromises work. We have to find a way to try to compromise. We're going to put the best case forward that we possibly can, the best case that we have, and we're going to fight tooth and nail for every dollar. But, and I always tell clients what I've always been told by judges, if you leave angry and the other side leaves angry, you probably made a good deal. Um, and I just think that's that, you know, that's the reality of settling a lot of cases, not all and not um, you know, some of the more complex or even some of the larger cases that resolve. But, you know, some of these cases, if you're a little bit upset that you didn't get everything you want, just know for certain that the other side's also upset that they gave away more than they wanted to. Sure. Yeah. I always like to go through, you know, the, the basics with the client. You know, this is a voluntary non-binding process. You know, the neutral is there. They can't make anybody do anything. They're there to help resolve the case. They can't make you take resolve the case at a number you don't like, they can't make them pay a number that they can't, they're unwilling to pay. So, you know, it's a collaborative process more than anything else. You know, we all agree that to disagree about certain things, but, you know, we're going to try to rise above. Uh, we're going to try to reach a resolution and bring some finality to the case, you know, and, and to expect that, you know, the, the mediator is going to identify both strengths and weaknesses within the case. You know, they're not going to, no case is perfect. You know, and and I'm sure whoever's case it is, is, is no exception. You know, they're going to be good points and bad points. And, you know, those need to be evaluated. And that's one of the jobs of the mediators to kind of identify the strengths and the weaknesses, go through the risks and benefits of going to trial versus settling now. And as we know, those are often, you know, time, expense, and especially, you know, in, in COVID, particularly in, uh, in Cook County, I mean, there's no real end in sight for when they're going to have jury trials, which is a, a huge kind of you know, thing hanging over everyone's head. We may never have them again at this rate. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, say don't say that. 
<laughs> I'm uncertain that we'll ever be back in the daily center and ever <laughs> trying cases again at this rate, but mm. you're right. No, two things that stood out to me. And uh, I think they're really important to remember is, yeah, it's a voluntary process. So telling the client, you know, you don't have to stay if you think that we're not getting anywhere, we can walk out. And the other thing that's important to remind clients is exactly what you said. The judge is not going to order them to do something. The, the neutral is not going to say, pay X dollars. They're going to suggest or they're going to you know, push one way or the other or give their recommendations. But at the end of the day, you're right. The collaborative process is what makes it successful. Um, and you have to be willing to be collaborative. Right. And, and I always try to remember or try to emphasize to the clients that you know, it's not the number at the top of the settlement that's the most important. It's the number at the bottom, you know, because there are things that can be resolved and, and taken care of, you know, earlier on that uh, when you resolve a case early as opposed to late, you save on costs. You know, going to trials, it's, it's expensive in addition to, you know, the time and the risk associated with it. You know, that's tens of thousands of dollars. And depending if it's a medical case, it, it can be unbelievably expensive taking as a trial. You're talking $50,000, $100,000 easy. So, you know, if you're early on in the case, you know, you can avoid those uh, those uh, costs, which, you know, you may be taking a smaller amount than you think the case is worth, but the bottom line is going to be the same or sometimes better. And you got to do that math for the client. You got to make them see, listen, this is in your financial interest to take this Take this settlement now, as opposed to you'll have to get X number, you know, X percentage higher at trial to get that same amount. Uh, another thing I also like to tell the clients, especially if we're later on in the litigation process, is that this is the last time that you are going to be in control of your case. You know, when you put the case to a jury, it's not up to you anymore. It's up to twelve people from the community. You know, it, it, it it's. When to, once you relinquish that control, I mean, it's gone. You can't get it back. So especially if you're, you know, mediating, you know, right before trial, I always try to make that point to them. And, and that really tends to resonate, I, I feel like, with a lot of clients because, you know, they've been in control of the case the whole time. You know, the, the, the opportunity to settle is theirs. And, you know, once you go to trial, it's not up to you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And you've mentioned costs and, you know, the costs of litigation, and they are significant, no doubt. The other thing, and I know we'll talk about it in a little while, the other thing I never walk into a mediation without knowing is what are the liens? I think you have to be able to tell your client at the end of the day exactly what they're going to get by making a certain compromise in a mediation. You're going to settle this case, like you said, for this top line number, but you have to pay your attorney. You have to pay for the costs of the case, and you also have to pay potentially you know, your medical providers or your health insurance or whoever has an interest in the litigation, you have to pay them back too. And knowing how much that is really can influence whether or not you can push for more or whether or not you can get a case settled. Sometimes you just can't because there's significant issues with the liens. And I'm, I'm sure we could talk about that all day long, but it's just something you don't want to be ignorant of as you're preparing for the media. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer not to talk about liens all day long. It's certainly not one of my favorite parts of the practice. Um, it's but not it's something, yeah, it's not something I enjoy um, dealing with, but it is extremely important to give your client a full picture of what is going to be the net benefit to them. And if you don't have the liens under control, if you're not aware of the lien amounts, I mean, you can't really do that. And you're really doing a disservice to your client at that point. 
Um, the other thing, you know, we've been doing a lot of mediations during COVID. Uh, you know, one of the best ways to get cases resolved these days. Uh, what, what's your, been your experience um, as far as doing mediations by Zoom? Um, has there been any substantial difference in the way you approach them or the way that you interact with the clients and the mediator? I wear slippers instead of dress shoes. But other than that, there's no substantive difference at all. I think um, with the way that technology has been, it's been a really smooth transition for mediation. The Zoom program that we're using to record this is set up perfectly to put people into mediation setting where you can put people in separate rooms and you can have private conferences and things like that. I think mediation by Zoom is tremendous because it ensures that everyone that needs to be present has no excuse, right? It's not enough that they're a phone call away. Just pull up your computer and, you know, dial into the Zoom or click into the Zoom link and you're there. And I think it's really, really beneficial for everybody involved. It's uh, great to see our industry being dragged, kicking and screaming from the 18th century into the 21st century and actually employing technology. Um, I'm, I'd love for more, but this is a good place to start. Yeah, I agree with that. The legal industry is, you know, by and large, 10 plus years behind the rest of the business world when it comes to technology. But I, I have to say, I have been extremely impressed with the way that Zoom mediations have gone. I mean, it's been next to seamless, you know, being able to communicate with the mediator, communicating with your client. It's almost, I mean, it's not the real thing, but it's close enough. I mean, it really is. And I found it to be equally as effective uh, as far as, you know, percentage of getting the cases resolved at mediation as it would be in person. So I've seen very little drop off uh, between the utility of mediation, you know, pre-COVID uh, versus the utility of mediation now. It's just been a great thing. I agree. I think it's been tremendous. And, you know, in terms of the logistics and working it out, if there's ever issues, the nice thing is, is that everybody understands the confines of the system. So it's, there are times where sometimes I just want to have a conversation with the judge without my client or without opposing counsel or the adjuster or anybody else. And now I have the benefit of just calling that judge on their cell phone. And so you're building relationships with these neutrals and these judges. That's also important going forward because they're going to understand your credibility. They're going to understand your seriousness and they're going to understand your track record. And so if they start to get to know you and you start to be able to have conversations with them throughout the mediation that are outside the presence of anybody else, they're going to carry that forward. And I don't mean in an unbiased way. I mean, in a, just in a credibility way, they're going to be able to say with a straight face to opposing counsel, you know, Matt Heimlich tries cases and he's going to go the distance and his client looks like he or she's ready to go the distance and he's got a great firm behind him and there's nothing really stopping him. So make the right call. And, you know, building that credibility with the judge is easy to do when you're in the room with them all day long for eight hours. But I also haven't found it more difficult by Zoom. I, I found sort of the same level of rapport building and the same level of, of camaraderie built uh, by these sort of virtual meetings. Yeah, I've noticed the same thing. There really hasn't been a drop off in that regard at all. Uh, the communication's all there. Um, it's, it's really been great. I mean, I have to say, uh, I, I did one Tuesday. Uh, I've more scheduled in the future. Uh, I, I continue to advocate for the process. I feel like it's very useful, particularly now more than ever, uh, as a great way to get cases resolved uh, with the uncertainty surrounding trial dates. 
Um, so when you're in the mediation, you know, there's different negotiating tactics, you know, from the point where you make your initial demand to the moves that you make during the mediation, you know, towards hopefully a resolution, you know, how do you kind of deal with those initial oh, first starting with the initial demand and then working your way towards the middle uh, to try to get a case resolved? So a lot of my mediation strategy centers around my love for baseball, um, which might sound strange, but I like statistics a lot. So I like brackets a lot and I like midpoints, but starting right off the bat, everybody likes home runs. Uh, I swing for the fences on every demand. I, you know, make a demand that I believe is the true value, fair justice value for a case. And the way that I always do it is I pull verdict form A from the Illinois uh, instructions, jury instructions, and I fill it out. And I said, this is what I'm going to ask a jury for. And this is how, and this is how I'm going to itemize it. And this is where I'm getting it from. And this is the ask. And we go from there. And um, it's always a little bit higher probably than uh, even I uh, initially think it should be just because you want to also build room for your ability to negotiate. Don't ever make a demand for the low value that you you know are willing to take, right? It's not going to benefit you. You're going to end up getting an offer half of that. Um, I think good defense lawyers, and you've been a defense lawyer and I've been a defense lawyer and I was halfway decent at it. And I know you were good at it. Um, good defense lawyers are going to look at your demand and say, oh, okay, well, he's willing to settle for half that. And I think that's how that they're going to view a lot of our demands. Um, so that's why I like to use the jury instruction and the verdict form in my demand to make it really clear, like these are the damages and this is how I see it. I'm the same way as far as itemizing uh, the damages in a, in a demand or a mediation submission. I feel like that's very persuasive. And I feel like you know, as a practitioner, it really makes you think about those elements and think about your proofs and think about how you're going to get those in a trial and think about, you know, what evidence you have for each of those elements, you know, that are on there. And once you have that, you're focusing on that. I usually don't itemize it in my demand, but I do list my proofs for each of them. You know, here's our medical specials. Here's our, here's the evidence of pain and suffering. Here's the evidence of disability. Here's the evidence of disfigurement. You know, and then I put a number at the bottom that's usually, you know, what I believe would be the collective sum of all those things, you know, and not give them too much of an itemization because sometimes you can, you know, move the numbers around to make it make sense. But, but you're right. You're also right. It's got to be at least twice, you know, twice what you want. I mean, otherwise they're going to see right through you. I mean, I, I was thinking of one case with a guy who told me, he said, I wanted X number of dollars on this case when I was a defense attorney. And that's what it was. He said, that's what, that's my demand. And I thought, oh, I can get it for half that. And I couldn't. And he was, he was, he was in budget and, but he's the only person I've ever seen do that. And it worked for him because he was an older guy and it just, it just worked with his personality type. But for the rest of us, you have to demand at least twice what you want, because that's what negotiations are. You're starting at whatever your demand is. They're starting at zero. And you work your way towards the middle. And if you're not thinking about midpoints, they are. So, I mean, that's that's really how you have to frame your case is to do go at least twice what you would ultimately, you know, be accept as your bottom line. And then brackets are interesting too. I mean, I like those sometimes, you know, you, you throw a bracket, they throw a counter bracket, and then you have to do the midpoints of those two brackets and then see where those end up. It's it, it's a really interesting process. 
Uh, I know I'm getting a little in the weeds, but I, it's something I, I genuinely enjoy doing. And uh, it's, it's really um, one of the judges at uh, ADR, which is the big uh, mediation company that a lot of us use in the Chicago area, has a computer program that has all those things programmed in. And it is unbelievable. Cool. It, it, is, it is very cool. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's very cool. And, but that's how you have to think about it. it. You really do. And if you're, again, you got to be thinking that way or you're not doing a service to your client. So, you know, make sure you have the numbers right. Make sure that, you know, you understand where the midpoints are when you're negotiating. So you can move in kind to kind of indicate where this case is going to get resolved at. And, you know, and go for it. I always tell the clients, the worst thing that happens if this whole thing falls apart is that you're in the same place you were yesterday. That's the worst thing that could happen. Right. So, you know, take a shot at it, you know, find a number that you think would make sense, you know, shoot for it. You know, either you guys get there or, or you don't. And then, you know, you're in the same place you were the day before, which is fine because nothing that happens in mediation has ever seen the light of day. Right. So I always kind of, you know, remind clients again to make sure that, you know, that this is an opportunity. It's what it is. It's an opportunity to get all the decision makers in the room and and get a result. So, you know, it's it's important to try to take advantage of it. Yeah. Two two important things that stand out to me with what you said. And I, again, I agree with everything you said. Um, I'm thinking back to friend of the pod, Pat Salvi who said, and I, he said this a long time ago, I was just fresh out of law school, uh, when he said, if you never ask, you'll never get that number. Don't be afraid to ask for big numbers because if you don't ask, you're not going to get it, right? It, you may be afraid of putting a big number on a piece of paper because you may be afraid that someone's going to think that your case isn't worth that. But if you believe your case is worth that and you can prove it, put the number down. If you don't ask for it, you sell yourself short. And the other thing, to always consider is exactly what you said. Participating in a mediation, the the results more often than not never see the light of day. There's often a lot of confidentiality involved in just settling the case. But what happens at a mediation, your submissions, the things that are said, the things you tell a judge, all that's confidential. None of that's coming in at trial. None of that's going to be used against your client. None of it's ever going to be seen outside of a mediation. So there is sort of a level of of confidentiality that provides you with some security. So you can really kind of level with a judge or even an adjuster if you need to and say, look, you're wrong. You're flat out wrong. And here's why. Or, you know, this is why this is worth X. Or this is the smoking gun that we have and we're going to use it. And The other thing to consider because there's a level of confidentiality is sometimes you can say things in confidence to the judge that they won't tell the other side, but that will improve your negotiation position. You can tell them, uh, you know, certain aspects of the case that you think might be weaker, that the defense might not know about, or certain things, like I said, that might be smoking guns. And using that confidentiality across the board can help your client obtain a better result either in the mediation or later down the road if it settles after mediation or if you have to go all the way. I think that's a great point. Using the judge as a sounding board is a huge uh, net benefit to having a mediation. I mean, you got years of experience on the bench uh, with basically all the people who mediate these cases for the most part. You know, they're all retired judges who've tried, you know, hundreds of these cases in the past. You know, you can run things by them. You can, yeah, you can use, um, use their insight, use their knowledge, use their experience. And, and it all really, and they can help sell that to your client too. It's a wonderful thing. 
The other thing that I wanted to bring up is, you know, because you're outside of the traditional legal process and mediation, you can ask for things beyond money during a mediation. You can say, listen, you know, I want some evidence that you change your policies and procedures pertaining to whatever the issue is in the case. I had a mediation where I asked to see evidence that um, the facility had updated their hiring policies and procedures um, after the incident because of, you know, some issues with the employee who was at fault. And, and they did. They showed they showed that. And but that it was all I mean, all that stuff is confidential, but it's something that you could never do in a courtroom. You can't ask for that stuff. You can't ask them to make changes. Uh, you can't ask for any of that. All you can ask for is money. And the nice part about mediation for your clients is, you know, because most of them, they want to they want to do this because they don't want this to happen to anybody else. Whether it's, you know, neglect at a nursing home, whether it's, you know, it could be anything, but they just don't want it to happen to anybody else. And so what they want to see is change. They want to see the defendant right the wrongs. They want to see them change their ways. And in mediation, you can kind of ask to see proof of that in a way that you would never be able to uh, get to do a trial. Absolutely. It's really uh, just such a tremendous opportunity for you to do a little bit of digging. And also, I think you get an opportunity when you do things like that to tighten up your own case. Because it may not be something that you can use at trial, but now you can reframe your case in a way that, in your example, um, that makes the facility look more dangerous. They didn't even bother to have XYZ procedure, right? That, that kind of stuff's coming in. And you know they have it now, and that subsequent remedial measure is never going to come in. But you can reframe it to say, you know, hey, they didn't have this procedure that or this policy that would have kept my plaintiff safe. And participation in mediation is one of the ways where you learn those things. You're not learning them in discovery. Right. So let's let's say, you know, you mediate the case, you get to a resolution, you agree on a number. You know, that's not the end of the process, is it? There's more that needs to be done to make sure that the case gets wrapped up and your client's interests are protected. Can you talk a little bit about that? So here's what always happens 1000% of the time. You spend all day mediating, go back and forth, back and forth. You finally settle on a number. You're good to go. You say, okay, get me a release. And the judge comes back in and says, well, one thing, they, they want confidentiality. They don't want you to be able to tell anybody that you got this tremendous result, or they don't want your client to be able to tell anybody that he or she got this tremendous result. What I always tell a judge, and I believe this uh, for several reasons, but I believe this in my heart of hearts, confidentiality is not free. If you want confidentiality, it costs money, pay for it. Um, and that oftentimes in some of my mediations throws a wrench into things, but it's a good opportunity to push the defendant. It's a good opportunity to squeeze them for more money. And if they really want confidentiality, they should have to pay for it because confidentiality is something that requires its own separate consideration. You know, you'll see a lot of releases um, when you settle cases, you'll see a lot of releases where like $1 is uh, allocated specifically to confidentiality. And there's a, a really interesting case, and I won't get bogged down in it, about de involving Dennis Rodman that has to do with confidentiality and whether confidentiality attaching to a release makes something taxable income and those sorts of things that 
you could expose your client to tax consequences simply by settling with confidentiality and no consideration. So you want to make sure there's money allocated to confidentiality if you agree to it. I think it's worth a lot of money. If you really want to keep something under wraps, if the defendant is really that interested in confidentiality, it means they did something wrong and they don't want people to find out about it because it's bad for business. And um, that costs money. I'm with you. I, I just, my, my take's a little bit different. I'm a little bit less of a, a stickler on the confidentiality. I mean, maybe this is my defense attorney coming out, but for me, I don't think it's anyone's business how much money anybody got about anything. I don't think the, the neighbors need to know that your client, you know, hit for, you know, a whole bunch of money, you know, and, and I, I personally don't believe that um, confidentiality and usually it's a limited confidentiality. It's not, you know, no one knows about anything for any reason. Uh, usually the the defense attorneys, the defense bar is wised up and imposed a fairly limited confidentiality agreement. They basically don't want their name of their client anywhere publicized. I mean, that's usually the gist of it. And right. to me, that's fine. You know, I don't need to say, you know, such and such, you know, this specific nursing home at this specific address, you know, paid my client, you know, X number of dollars. Like that's not really important, you know, if, to me personally. And, and I know to the client, they usually don't want that publicized anyway. I mean, verdicts are verdicts. That's a whole different ballgame. But when it comes to settlement, you know, I feel like that's kind of part and parcel of the deal. And they usually just want, you know, something more general, like, you know, suburban Chicago nursing home resolves case with X, Y, and Z. And to me, it's just like, I, I, I generally, that's not my hill to die on. Um, right. If it's going to interfere with settlement, um, I'd rather just get the case done in the interest of the client. But uh, I agree with you that more thought and consideration should be applied towards confidentiality because uh, the defense bar basically feels like it's baked into every settlement and they don't even really discuss it. And then you see it in the release and it's just like, at least address it, you know, when, when this is all going on, at least say, you know, this is going to be part and parcel of the bargain because I've had that before where I've settled cases and they send the release and there's confidentiality in there. And it wasn't even talked about. And, and that, that I feel like is totally unacceptable. Yeah, we've been in situations where we've publicized a result and, uh, you know, had to be in a position where we had to retract it because there's limited confidentiality that was never discussed or agreed upon. And it really can put you in a bind. So I'm with you. I think it doesn't really matter if you're naming names. I mean, you know, big result against a rideshare company. Everybody knows who that is. Right. Big result against major Illinois insurance company. Everybody knows that's all state or state farm right? People know exactly what uh, you're saying when you say it. So you're right. To a point, confidentiality is not uh, that big of a deal. But if it's you know automatically baked in and never discussed and you go eight hours through a mediation or even longer or go a couple of days, uh, and then all of a sudden there it is on the back end, you know, it's sort of by ambush, right? And you should get something out of it. No, I, I agree on that. It, it should be discussed and addressed and agreed upon um, and usually, I mean, usually that's what happens, but uh, sometimes it doesn't. And that's a very frustrating thing for, for those of us, um, who see that when the release comes and, you know, we, we can't really undo what's already been done and it's just, it's a problem. Yeah. So notwithstanding the confidentiality issues, um, I mean, mediation, I, I found to be a, a very useful and beneficial process. Um, it's becoming, uh, ubiquitous now, I, again, with COVID 
impairing our ability to try cases. And, you know, I, I feel like it's really a great way to try to resolve, uh, especially the, the tougher cases where you have those kind of sticky issues that you're concerned may uh, impair your ability to trial. And, and a lot of times the defense attorney feels like they have those issues as well. And it's a great forum to try to get everyone in the same place, resolve your case and, and get a, you know, get a good result for your client. So I'm a big fan of the process. I, I, I did one, like I said, I did one Tuesday. I intend on doing more um, as time goes on. And um, I feel like yeah, it's I definitely, yeah, I feel like it's something that um, everyone uh, is doing and will continue to do for the foreseeable future until, you know, we all get back in courtrooms on a regular basis. Uh, with that, before we wrap up today, uh, John, let's give, let's give everyone your 30 second trial tip. One thing we do to make our cases stronger and our trials better. Uh, for this one, my 30 second trial tip is more of a mediation tip. I think that you need to never be afraid to walk away from a mediation, walk out of a mediation. If it's not working for your client, if you're not getting you anywhere, if it's a waste of time, if it's low ball offers, if the defense came to play games or try to explore what you know your case is all about or what you what they think your case is all about, leave, walk out. The other thing that walking out can do is create a ton of leverage for you. Uh, you're telling the defense exactly who you are as a lawyer, and that's a lawyer that tries cases. That's a lawyer that goes before juries and gets justice for injured people or for any person um, or families or whoever it might be, right? You're letting them know that you have the credibility that you don't need to be there to have your time wasted. So never be afraid to walk out if it's not going to benefit your client. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, my, my mediation tip, uh, kind of going in a similar vein, but kind of the opposite side of that coin is that in mediation, patience is not only a virtue, but a necessity. You know, sometimes, and I always tell clients this, do not walk out after the first offer because they're going to start low. Whatever you think your case is worth, they're going to start low. And they start low mo mostly to see what your response is going to be to their offer. It's, it's that more than anything else. It's not that this is what they perceive to be the value of the case. But you know, if they're going to move, if they're going to offer twenty five thousand, they want to see how far you're going to come down off your demand in response to that twenty five thousand. And so you got to explain that to your client. And you know, I, I like I said, at a mediation Tuesday, if, if an hour and a half in, I could have sworn it was not going to get done. We were nowhere close. Uh, the information we were getting from the mediator was that the insurance adjuster was beating their chest in the other room and saying that they didn't do anything wrong and all this other stuff. And then, you know, lo and behold, two and a half hours later, after, you know, a bunch of very tedious, small moves and negotiations, we end up resolving the case for a reasonable uh, value. It just took a long time. Everyone had to, you know, we talked about getting things off your chest. Apparently that day, the adjuster had to get something off their chest. And once, you know, that happened, you know, they got back into the facts of the case, the value of the case. And it ended up working out, but it, it was a long day. It was a long haul. Many uh, moves were made between the two sides. So patience, 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 you know, it's a, it's an absolute necessity in these things. And, you know, you got to remember that it's a process and everyone's process is a little bit different, but the end result uh, can be, you know, a great result for your client and a resolution to a case. For sure. You're playing check. You're playing chess, not checkers, right? Yeah. So you know, if they make a low ball offer, make a low ball response. You know, there's nothing to stop you from not reducing your demand at all. 
oh, you made that offer. That's absolutely paltry. It's less than even the medical bills. I don't have any response. Uh, our demand is our demand. Let me know when you have a legitimate offer. You know, sometimes waiting it out like that is absolutely useful. And you're right. Patience can be a virtue. But if you've been there for eight or nine hours and nothing's happening, I'm a big proponent of just walking out. And I've gotten mediations done simply by leaving. Um, so I'm with you. You know, the first few hours are tedious and they are time consuming and they are tough. But, um, you know, they can be very fruitful. Absolutely. Very true. And uh, with that, that's going to be our episode for today. Uh, John, thanks again for bringing this back full circle. I know it's been a while uh, since we put on an episode, but uh, it's good to get back on the uh, on the podcasting horse, so to speak. Remember, you can follow us and send us comments, questions, and episode ideas, or troll us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at On Trial Podcast. Uh, with that, I'm Matt Heimlich. And I'm John Rizvold. And we'll see you on trial. <laughs>